to Down City Cash Chicago. The city has recently been hosting these safety town halls. Our producer, Simone Alisea, attended one in Chicago State and told us this the next day. I heard the, the phrase block party or block club like at every single table I walked by on the south side. Well, yesterday, Mayor Lightfoot announced vague plans to assist the development and expansion of block clubs as part of a public safety strategy. But why are there so many block clubs in Chicago and do they actually make a difference in neighborhoods? We talked to Dr. Amanda Seligman, who literally wrote the book. It's Tuesday, April 5th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. For somebody like myself who, who grew up in Chicago, it's one of those things that I, I never really had to ask about or talk about. It's just like... A, of course I know what a block club is but then when I had to when I asked myself like when did block clubs start I was like you yeah, I don't really know and when I went to look up this information the name that kept coming up over and over and over again was Amanda Seligman um, so I'm so excited to have you here to, to get some of my questions answered uh, so again welcome to CityCast Chicago Thanks so much, Jacoby. And if I could say my experience actually is just like yours. There was one day when it suddenly dawned on me to ask, well, what is the history of these block clubs? And then I started investigating it and learned what the history looks like. They come from the practices of the, the National Urban League and the Chicago Urban League. And it's the Urban League that was responsible for putting them into us in Chicago. The Urban League considered its job to be to help acculturate black migrants from the south to the north both to get along better with the established black population in Chicago, which was not too happy about country folk coming up to the city, and also to prove to white people that black people could live in the city in a way that was good for the city and not bad for the city. Mm -hmm. I'm very privileged in the sense that I get to look at that and kind of immediately think that's problematic and that's messed up. The truth is that was survival for many people. That was uh, a part of what many people felt was a necessary orientation process to moving from the South and the North and to integrate. Um, and, and out of that, you start to see the earliest block clubs. Amanda, at its basic definition, what is a block club? So a block club, I consider to be like the smallest form of community-based organization. It's people who live near each other on a block or a couple of blocks who voluntarily come together to improve their block. And sometimes it's physical improvement, sometimes it's social improvement, sometimes it's just community activities. Um, but basically a block club is a group of neighbors who get together to make their portion of the city better than it was before. And how is this different from like a homeowners association or a local community organization in a neighborhood? Like, cause you know, in Chicago, we got 200 plus neighborhoods. There are plenty of high park community organizations, Lawndale community organizations, Andersonville. How are block clubs different? Good question. So they're different from homeowners associations because homeowners associations are mandatory. Those, if you move into a neighborhood with a homeowners association, you have to join and they're built to be really hard to break. Mm -hmm. So block clubs, people can come in and out as they please um, and do what they want to with. So it's that, it's that voluntary nature that makes it different. Neighborhood associations, community-based organizations can be bigger. They can sometimes have paid staff. Sometimes they register with the federal government as 501c3 organizations because they have some income and they don't want to get taxed for it. Um, block clubs are so small uh, and so low budget that usually they do not bother with that kind of registration. Did you have a sense from your research how many are in Chicago and where they're mostly located? 
The best estimate that I have comes from some data I've been working with from the Chicago Police Department because CPD has a block club organizing program. And they actually have some 5,000 black clubs that they have organized that may or may not be active. Uh, And they are spread out mostly in black neighborhoods, but not exclusively in black neighborhoods in Chicago. So you see a lot on the south side, the west side, and some pockets of the north side as well, but other places in the city as well. They really are ubiquitous. One of the really interesting things that we have found um, that is not published yet is that according to the CPD data that I have, block clubs are most likely to take hold when CPD tries to create them in neighborhoods that have the most violence. So um, does that mean that block clubs are causing violence? No, but they are correlated because people who are concerned about violent crime want to do something about it on their block as well. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patient smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you could transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts, your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. So CPD is organizing some of these block clubs with this anti-crime focus, but what about other block clubs around the city? What are, what are their primary concerns like? What are the things that kind of make block clubs universal? What are most of them trying to do in their neighborhoods? Many of them are involved in beautification programs, picking up garbage, planting flowers, holding Christmas light decorating contests, whatever they can think of that will make the block a more pleasant and beautiful place for all the neighbors, that kind of environmental uplift. Block clubs have also been involved in all kinds of social activities. Sometimes the only thing that a block club will do is to host a, a block club, a block party in the summer where people will show up with their hot dogs and their ice cream that's and their soda. My, that's all my blocks ever did. The only block club we knew about was the summer block party with bounce houses, hot dogs, soda. Like that, that's all we knew. If you weren't drink, if you weren't providing pop for the neighborhood, then we we weren't paying attention. Yeah, well, that's that's definitely sometimes the only thing block clubs do. Um, block clubs have also – I would like to just say that even though I'm very fond of block clubs and was so interested in them that I wrote this whole book, um, block clubs don't always do good things. So in the 50s and 60s, uh, white block clubs were particularly involved that, in trying yep. to keep African-Americans from moving onto their blocks. So it was a way of use, uh, creating kind of racial solidarity among whites and protecting, um, protecting the color line. Yeah, that was a question I had. You know, when you think of Chicago neighborhoods, I think of segregation. You know, how did block clubs, you know, maintain 
segregation. I would say that racial covenants were one manifestation of the same spirit of activity that block clubs were involved in. And then block clubs also, uh, particularly in the South Side, under the direction of um, Father Francis Lawler, were involved in actively trying to send a message to African-Americans not to come onto their blocks. Their idea was that if uh, if the blocks were showed united white solidarity, then African-Americans would know how unwelcome they would be on those blocks. And the idea was that would keep segregation up. I, I love that there's nothing innocent on this show. Even the idea of block clubs, they, they can carry such a nostalgic moment. They, they have a long cultural uh, history in the city and it, it often comes back to segregation uh, and maintaining aspects of white supremacy. Um, in, in my neighborhood coming up, you know, and in neighborhoods maybe around my block, the way we knew if there was some form of a block club was often like a sign at the end of the block. And those signs could go from extremely inviting, like, hey, welcome to our block. We love to kick it here. Come have a good time. We maintain our lawns. All the way up to the ones that I've seen, like, hey, no loitering, no basketball in the street, you know, no loud music. Shut the hell up. We call the cops on people. Uh, when you were doing your research, what was the range of, again, not only signs that you saw, but like that relationship that block clubs may have had to people who didn't live on their block or the way they maintain the social structure on their block? The block club signs are fascinating and really do express an idea of how neighbors thought about their relationship with one another and with strangers who would be coming onto the block as well. And so some of them were those really like the list of prohibitions. You know, when the University of Chicago Press made that beautiful cover for my book and put block club signs all over it, I said to them, how do you expect to sell a book that has the word no on it like 19, <laughs> 19 times? Because they had they had so many of those no's mm -hmm. attached to them. And that was because block clubs really often were aimed at regulating the behavior of their neighbors. So, you know, don't, yeah. don't, um, my favorite one is, you know, don't fix cars on the street because that ends up, you know, polluting the grass and the, the, the street itself. They're trying to control the people who live and work on their block, well, who are doing right. things that they do not like. It's like um, a subtweet. They, they are referencing somebody, not just an act. They have somebody in mind more than likely. Absolutely. If they put up a sign that says no loitering, you can bet there are people that are loitering who are their neighbor's children that they mm -hmm. don't want to see hanging out on the street. Um, and then other blocks try to project an image of what housing on the block should look like. So there was one block club sign that is literally like the houses at their peak of maintenance. And that's just, that's like, this is the kind of property we want we want you to maintain if you are on this block. And then some of them do say literally welcome. Um, I will say there was also a fascinating um, exercise that Jamal Cole, so he had a program um, with My Block, My Hood, My City to get young people to make productive use of their time. And he had them remake those negative signs that said, don't do this, don't do that, and put them in much more positive terms, expressing the positive views of of their of what they wanted from their neighborhoods. Speaking of Jamal Cole, his organization, My Block, My Hood, My City, you know, one of its founding tenets is like taking care of neighbors, taking care of elderly people on the block, shoveling snow. Uh, d did you ever in your research see this, uh, you know, kind of 
relationship where there were more block clubs and places where, you know, the city may have wasn't doing a good job of taking care of those neighborhoods or taking care of those people. Because um, I, I remember reading at one point that, you know, because it's a part of a black tradition, most block clubs end up being on the south side, on the west side. Um, but but it's always interesting to me that, like, again, in places where uh, the city is uh, is failing, um, the block clubs try their best to try to, you know, kind of step in and provide resources. Can you, can you talk about that relationship? Yeah, sure. That's a really good observation um, that a lot of places um, where people are wealthy, uh, they just pay for services. So they pay, you know, they make sure that the snow gets shoveled if this if it's not the city's responsibility to, you know, clean out the street uh, in poor neighborhoods that are more neglected by mm-hmm. the city government. Um, people often do for themselves. And block clubs are small enough that they're not going to go out and sort of agitate City Hall and say, hey, you clean up our block. They just do, uh, which yeah. is often the way of black people in American history, as I'm sure, you're, as I'm sure you know. Um, they just went out and figured out, OK, well, the trash is not getting picked up here adequately. So let's have an alley cleanup once a week in which uh, especially get the kids in the neighborhood, kids, kids in the block involved um, and clean it up and make sure that it's going to be the kind of place we want to live, even if we can't get the city to do its job. By and large, I would say that the activities of block clubs have not been formally partisan in the sense that they come in on one side or another of political parties uh, or even really directly related to government. But they are absolutely political in the sense that they are concerned with the city and that which is the polis. That's a nice Greek word for it. Um, And they want um, to make the place where they live a better place to be. Uh, and so in that sense, anyone who's engaged in trying to make the city better is engaged in political activity. Mm-hmm. Throughout your research, it, it looked like block clubs were kind of founded in Atlanta, have a really huge presence in a place like Buffalo. But why is Chicago so central to the story of block clubs? Why does it seem that we're obsessed with them? That's a great question and one that I've never fully been able to answer. Um, Chicago seems to have something really special in its or- in its orientation to neighborhoods and orientation to neighboring that makes it a place where community organizations happen. And I'm not exactly sure what it is about Chicago that makes it such fertile ground, but I can tell you that organizing is different in Chicago than anywhere else. Just in the history we've discussed in this conversation is very clear that block clubs can represent so many different things from a local, you know, organization concerned with beautification all the way to something that, you know, maintains racism and segregation in a neighborhood. Is it important for us to kind of look at it, not as this just universal thing, but kind of break down how complicated and, and multi-layered it is? What does block clubs teach us about our city. You know, I, I feel strongly on both sides of that question. So on the one hand, block clubs are like their ultimate democracy and ultimate self-governance. They're really people sitting down with the people who are closest to them, who have the most day-to-day control over their quality of life, and figuring out together how to make their place be what they want it to be. So that's a beautiful thing to be really small, small scale, small D democracy. On the other hand, block clubs aren't any more moral or ethical than human beings. There's not they there's nothing about the synergy that makes them forget 
their sins. And so um, block clubs can also express the worst impulses of Americans, which in the case of Chicago includes a very strong tendency to maintain segregation. Dr. Amanda Seligman is the author of Chicago's Block Clubs, How Neighbors Shape the City. Thanks for coming on CityCast Chicago. Nice to meet you. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. During the mayor's press yesterday, she also announced a home and business protection rebate program that will give qualifying residents money back for installing security cameras, lights on their property, and GPS trackers. Now, y'all know my love-hate relationship with random holidays, but in today's newsletter, Sydney lists some of her favorites coming up. Like, today is Read a Roadmap Day. Next Tuesday is Grilled Cheese Day. Now, I'm going to be real. That's a rando I can get down with. And some good news to get you through. If you're trying to get your step on and take your first stepping lesson, ETA Creative Foundation in Greater Grand Crossing is hosting a free steppers night tonight starting at 6 p.m. Remember, we also want to hear from you about our daily newsletter. Visit chicago.citycast.fm, take our audience survey, and tell us what you love, what you want to see improve, and we'll enter you in for a chance to win a $100 Visa gift card. All right, now, have a good day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Terry Gross better watch out for her microphone because I think you're after it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Amanda.